Hey, we're back for episode two. I want to thank the over 5,000 listeners from 78 countries that downloaded episode one. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know what? We're really thankful and truly honored that uh, not only the folks that know us that took the time to support us and downloaded and left a great review, uh, we really appreciate that. But thanks to all the folks that are just interested in this, this type of material that uh, just gave us a chance and uh, we shot up the charts a little bit. Yeah, we, we got enough traffic that Apple saw fit to move us into the new and noteworthy category in podcasts, and I think that's what really set it to uh, skyrocketing. No, that's very cool. And you know, who, who knows how long that'll stay up there, but uh, it really gives us motivation to keep going and provide some really cool stories for you. So that said, with all the traffic we're getting to the website and everything, I decided that it was probably time to go ahead and set up some points of contact for us because we didn't have like – I mean, we had an email address, which everyone should know, astonishinglegends at gmail.com. But we needed to set up a phone, and we needed to get sort of a P.O. box and that sort of thing. So I, I, I took it upon myself today to start going down that road, and I went and made a Google Voice account for us so we would have a phone number. It was a good, a good way to leave us a story idea or something kind of cool. Right. But what happened? You well, tried to, yeah. you tried to I tell mean, me I mean, about it. By the way, we haven't set up the the voice mailbox yet, but one of the first things I noticed about Google Voice is that I could text people right from the browser there. So the very first thing I did was I texted Forrest and I said, hey, look, this is our new Google Voice number. Yeah, and except I, I didn't get that text. Yeah. Someone else got it. Yeah, I guess I had transposed the area code or something and my message went to somebody in Virginia, although I was not aware of that, <laughs> who promptly wrote back, who is this? Which is actually a pretty standard reply for Yeah, Forrest. I don't do it every time. But, you know, every once in a while, just to kind of uh, rile him a little bit, I right. might say something back that's a, a cryptic just, uh, just to keep him guessing. So I waited uh, a little bit, and I wrote back, and I said, it's Indrid Cold. And now, <laughs> if it, people who have found this show because you were looking for us, you might know who Indrid Cold was. A lot of you probably don't. I'm a huge fan of The Mothman, the story of The Mothman, specifically as it relates to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, right. although he's been seen all over the world. Yeah, and there's a great book uh, by John um, Keel. John Keel, that's yes, it right. Yes, a very good book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and it's and it's it's lore that's been around for quite a long time. But but this this character Indrid Cold is a key figure that's also in the movie, and and it's a very good creepy scene. Yeah. Uh, where he gets a phone call. Richard Gere gets a phone call from this person. Who, yes. Uh, in the Mothman prophecies. Yeah. Who seems to be omniscient, which kind of freaks. Richard yeah, out. and he's a great scary voice and all that stuff. And based on a real life encounter from one of the original witnesses in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, who said that he ran in to this guy who called himself Indrid Cold. My name is Indrid Cold. Right. And uh, with, the, with a very low, like he's got a bad connection. He's like, yeah. you know, just like <laughs> the kind of voice you don't want to hear in the middle of the night. But no, I think they just thought like, I don't know who that is. No, and well, just, when I, like, and when I texted this stranger who I thought was Forrest, if they, if they bothered to Google Indrid Cold, they probably would have been a little bit freaked out. Well, I can only hope that they do because yeah. like, oh, you know what? I, I should have just kept the conversation up because you're, how often do you get to talk to an interdimensional being? Yeah, well, supposedly. So the next text from them right. had, they didn't want to talk to no, an there was a lot of the, There was a lot of question marks and, and a lot of exclamation points. Yes, points. And the, the, the gist of the message was, leave me the F alone. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> which the, the prankster part of me now wants to periodically send little messages. Yeah. But, so but no, we won't. So yeah. anyway, I have to apologize to that poor person in Virginia for impersonating an interdimensional being. It's, it's very <laughs> unlikely that we'll, we'll keep this up. Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep bothering you. Let's go to the show. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. If you knew that your life was merely a phase or short, short segment of your entire existence, how would you live? Knowing nothing real was at risk, what would you do? You'd live a gigantic, bold, fun, dazzling life. 
You know you would. That's what the ghosts want us to do. All the exciting things they no longer can. Truck Polonik. In tonight's show, we're going to hear a story about a romantic getaway that went wrong on one of the most haunted ships in the world that's now a hotel. I was just so frozen with fear, I had to look away. So, we're off to the Queen Mary. Yeah, a ship with a lot of history. Right, but also, for, for local folks in the Southern California area, a really cool, quick getaway that's got everything there, right? Yeah, it's perfect. You want to take a trip, but maybe you don't have time to go way far out of town. You just want something nice, and you know what? It's Valentine's Day. You need it to be a home run. Yeah. And there's nothing like going to an 80-year-old cruise ship that was, at the time, the height of luxury. Yeah, it's not only got the history, but everything's on board. you got a couple of great restaurants, and you're not a typical hotel because you, you have to make this evening right. You've got a limited amount of time, right? Yeah, that's right. Valentine's Day is all about keeping the romance alive. Everybody's working, especially in the United States. Working all the time, not taking breaks, not taking vacations. you really got to make these little things count. And at the end of the evening, what are you looking for, Scott? Are you just looking for a nice, comfortable, clean room? Which the Queen Mary has, but with another problem. You know you're in trouble when Time Magazine calls it one of the top ten most haunted places in the world. Unless you're like us, and you might be looking for that kind of thing, but probably your significant other isn't. No, not in this case. Well, let's go to the interview. So we're going to talk to a couple of our friends, Marty and Alice, here, uh, who have some stories to tell us. You guys have been married. Married. (coughs) For how long now? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. All right. Known each other for 20. No. Five. Yes. At least. Careful. Yes. We've known each other for 25. Okay. So that's part of the reason we wanted to interview you together, because you have a, a, a very entertaining dynamic. I would a say. history. <laughs> yeah. A dynamic. So a dynamic in, history in that. You want to talk about the Queen Mary first? All right. I don't remember exactly what year it was. I, I know it was for Valentine's Day. Right. I think uh, it was... We were married at the time, right? Yeah, we were living in So Venice. it was probably 1997. So I was sick that year, my yearly like flu, cold uh, deal. And I was probably... You were on antibiotics. On antibiotics, fever, flu, the whole But you were, deal. by the time we went... Right, you were at the tail end of I was taking at the your tail end of antibiotics. It, but but I like to tell it by setting that up that I, I was sick prior to this trip, and uh, I did have a big fever. But and and then I took antibiotics and went through that whole deal. But I wasn't quite done with the antibiotics. Finished this medication as directed, and I did. And Alice had surprised me with a uh, trip to the Queen Mary for Valentine's Day. Let me just say, I had seen some show, and they stayed overnight there, and the rooms looked so cool, so I thought, let's go. And it is a boat that was it used to be a, sh- a cruise ship. Well, it was a, it was a ship that went over, it was a transatlantic. I knew about it. I mean, I, I've talked to people about it. I know that there is some history with it. And well, it's a notoriously haunted yeah, place, right. which we didn't really take right. into consideration. No, we didn't. And, and, and that, it didn't really, you know, make me want to not go or go any more it's or less. It's a beautiful ship. Yeah, I just don't like doing things in general, so I, I didn't want to go just for sake of not going. I felt bad that Alice had made these plans, and, you know, I wanted to follow through with it. So we went. And it's about 45, we were living in Venice at the time, it's about a 40, 45-minute drive. And we get there. We we, go to check-in. We go to check-in, and we get our key, we go to our room, and we walk all the way to the... One end. 
one end of the boat. I believe it was to the back of the boat. And we go into the room, and being with uh, my wife as long as I have, I know the procedure with when we go anywhere, which is never to unpack the bags until she has pretty much given the blessing that the room is okay and there's no, you know. Well, we must, we bed must have to say shortage that of pillows there was, and you know, there was a an queen size closet. bed. There was a queen size no, bed in the room, and there was pretty much the, no room around the, the bed to walk. The, so the it room, was very small. The room was it, like ridiculously small. It was so small. And that, you are claustrophobic, so that you didn't it only like had it. each room I thought would have like a porthole, like window. This room literally had half a window. Like it was literally it was super in small. half, and it was the bed was too big for the room. So without even like missing a beat, Alice goes up to the front desk. And proceeds to. Um, I basically said that room is ridiculously small. Can you please move our room? They give us a different room, and we march to the other end Wasn't of the it boat. In the middle? It, it, no, it was it now was the going to the front of the boat. Okay, mm-hmm. just uh, for some people, I want to say the back of the boat is sometimes referred to as the stern. The stern, yes. My father would be very <laughs> well, disappointed. Uh, and actually, no, I'm just, just, yeah. just picking on you. No, uh, that, that, that is true. So we went, yes. From, so anyway, we get to this room. We get to this room. We open we op- the door. We open the door. And let me just say, there were three porthole windows in there. The room it had was a king-size gigantic. Bed, it was huge. A table and chair set up for six. It was, it, it was ridiculously huge. tremendous. It, it was just a giant room. And at that point, we should have known. Yeah, so it was just like, you know, so right away, I'm like, this is great. Look at this. Wow, good job, honey. You know, that that's fantastic. So because we didn't book it, I guess earlier enough for whatever reason we couldn't get dinner on the boat so we found a restaurant in town and i remember um we were getting ready a little bummed out about that yeah uh, that we weren't gonna be eating on the boat but nonetheless it was whatever so this is here we go we're getting to the heart of it alice goes into the bathroom to get ready for going out to dinner And I'm in the bedroom watching TV and looking out the portholes and checking things out. And the door to the bathroom has a full-length mirror on it. And the door was open probably about halfway. And Alice is getting ready. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I guess I should probably get ready now. And I, I go get into my luggage and I go to get my shirt or whatever and I take it off. And I remember going up to the mirror and putting on the shirt, and I look up in the mirror, and at this point, there is somebody in the mirror, like, doing what I'm doing, like, basically getting ready. There was someone in, not, not like, in front of me, but, like, behind me, not, like, mimicking me or anything, but just, like, he was getting ready, too. Just and doing the his only own way thing. I could describe him is as... Uh, the uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, uh, I believe his name is John. Uh, John. That's the actor John Neville. John Neville. I'm Baron Munchausen. Mm, that sounds nasty. Is it contagious? Uh, he was in a tuxedo, like in tails, like getting ready to go out, and like I just froze. 
like I, I, and then it was one of those things where I didn't want to move because of all the cliches and everything you ever see. Whenever you look away uh, and you go back, it's going to be gone. So I didn't want to li- unlock my eyes from what I was seeing. And I knew it was wrong, but I was seeing it and it was there. And it was for probably, I'd say, like a couple of seconds. Well, and the other thing is, is that up until this point, was pretty much a non-believer. So it was probably... Of any... You'd never seen an apparition. I had never seen anything. And a big poo-pooer. And they, I, I don't believe anything. I, I, I've tried and uh, countless games of the Ouija board. Just, you know, you're moving that. You know, I know you're moving that. All right. Can, can I ask you a few questions just yes. before we move ahead? Yes. First of all, what was Alice doing at this point? Alice was in the bathroom getting ready. She was taking a shower, getting ready to go out. Okay. I was at the sink. She was like, no, you were in the shower. I was? And I just, yeah, because okay. I remember the shower water going, and then I remember the door being open like halfway. It was at like a 45-degree angle where like it, the, it, it was open to the bathroom, but I was out in the room part, and I could see myself in that mirror, and the room was just empty behind me. The TV was not behind me. I've gone through this a million times. Okay, okay. So I, it's, let me get I, moving on. Did, did, yes. Did you see him appear or disappear? I saw him just there. It was like a hard cut in. Like, just boom, he's there. But it was like when you looked in the mirror, he was behind you. But before, but it wasn't as if you saw him like poof, poof show up. It's like when you looked up, he was just there. He was just there. Okay. And, and it, did you see him disappear? No. I, 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 I just looked, and, and as long as I was looking into the mirror, he was there. And this is where I became, like, frozen with fear. Like, where the back of my neck, I got an instant headache, and, like, like it was just like a, like, almost a brain freeze. Like, uh, like a locking up kind of a thing. And I knew if I looked away, it was going to disappear. And when I did look away, it would disappear. So I was trying to hold on to it as long as I could. What made you then look away? I mean, if you knew that you were trying to hold this gaze and, uh, and that, yeah. I was too afraid. But so then... I, I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, it was almost like a staring contest. It was like, how long can I, can I look at this? And with her in the bathroom and getting ready. And, and I was like, how long can I hold on to it? And I was looking at it. And then I was like, finally... I, I, I was just so frozen with fear, I had to look away. Like, I, I just didn't, I, I was done at that point. I had seen it, and I was like, okay, duly noted. You threw in the towel. Okay, I just, yeah. Well, I, I, I was, like, not up to questioning and going into a whole, you know, exploratory thing of what was going on at that moment because I was scared and freaked out and, and didn't understand what was going on. And more importantly, I didn't want to freak out my wife who had planned this vacation. I didn't want to give her that because I know how sensitive she is to these kinds of things. And if I said anything, it would... I would have said, let's go. Yeah, it would have upset her. (laughs) We're going. We hadn't even gone to dinner yet. I mean, we barely unpacked. Okay, so my next question for you is, did you have any interaction or he was oblivious to you? I think he was oblivious to me. It it was more of a, we're doing the same thing at the same time in this mirror. Something happened. Like, it was almost like a, a leftover memory or a, like, just some sort of, you know, time continue, some kind of... 
maybe maybe like an like echo a synchronicity of some kind like it was just one of those things like where he was getting ready but at a different time almost that's really all i could take away from it like was that yeah he, he this was a ghost and that he was doing something in the same spot similar to what i'm doing and i just somehow crossed paths with it and he was it was solid it was you know it wasn't the ghost that's projected on you at the end of the haunted mansion at disneyland it it wasn't holographic it was more solid than that but yet it was um not physical like it just it wasn't it was more of an image than a would you, would you say like maybe 2d as opposed to seeing something three like you know your yeah. vision i'm looking at you yeah it was like a picture yeah, it was a picture. Maybe a little flat. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever, did you think, I'm going to turn around and look and see if he's really yeah, there? Yeah, and I'm going to do the look back, and then it's not going to be there. And, of course, it wasn't. And then I was, like, trying to, you know, stretch my neck out. Because, I, I mean, it's that same thing, like, when a dog or a wild animal, when you get in that fear mode, that instinctive thing. That, that's what I'm talking about, that, that, like, that numbing. That's the sensation that freaked me out, was that it was almost like this instinctive like you know it was just weird and and i look back nothing there and then it was okay how can you just (laughs) pretend this didn't happen you know like all those things are going through my head like this will probably never happen again because you're probably never going to come back here again all right, so that, and you didn't hear any sounds associated with it. No okay. sounds. So the rest of the trip, well, well, the, the rest of it goes like this. We go out to dinner. I'm now plagued with this just horrible uh, vision, and I've got a bad vibe. I'm not, and I was, by the way, on antibiotics still, so I was not drinking, and I wasn't smoking, any, nothing. I was sober when this whole thing happened through this whole weekend, still finishing out the antibiotics, and we go out to dinner, and I remember it was horrible. It was a, hor- it was a Spanish yeah, it was just- restaurant. We had the speaker. We got seated outside. There were no heaters by us. It was, it was just February, a, it was just and it was the Valentine's thing. thing. It was the typical Valentine's thing where there's just tables of two, 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 two everywhere. We got situated under this, I remember, Bose Outdoor, sorry, Bose, uh, a speaker that was, like, over-cranked. And it was, like, just this bad music. The food sucked. Anyway, the dinner was horrible, and I just didn't want to go back, but we went back, and I recall there being a dance on the boat, and I think one of the reasons why our room was where it was originally was because we wound up being put in a a larger room. However, we were underneath what was obviously a... The dance floor. Parquet wood dance floor and it was a big dance like a radio sponsor a radio event kind of sponsored thing so there were lots of heels lots of footsteps it was that just were obviously from this dance so not feeling so hot we just kind of called it a early we night. called it an we early didn't... night and we're we, we decided let's just watch tv so we're watching tv and and the tv was on pretty much all night and we were kind of dozing in and out, and I'm having the most horrific nightmares of, like, air dogfights and death and, like, planes crashing into, like, literally, like, shooting each other and shooting each other down. And, 
and it was just like horrible and I kept waking up. Yeah, it was I mean, just it was just like, one bad infomercial just really after bad. another, but there was no way I was turning the TV off. Yeah. Like the TV was just going to stay on. And of course I looked back in the mirror again and went in the bathroom and looked at another mirror and I was trying to like get it to happen again because it was like, all right, we're in here. Let's see it happen. And I was not telling uh, her about it because I didn't, still didn't want to give that up. And figured there would be a time where I would tell her about it, but it wasn't going to be while we were still there. Now, Alice, do, do you, I know, I've known you guys for a, quite a long time, and I know that uh, Marty will sometimes, we'll go to, we'll go to some place, and you'll just get a ba- bad vibe, or, yes. you know, just like, you, yeah. you're not I, feeling comfortable, so you want to leave. I, I, I have had that. Yeah, but yes. what I was going to ask is that, uh, did you notice anything odd with his behavior, more, more so than usual? He definitely was agitated, but... I just kind of went with it because right. I figured, ah, eh, he's just agitated because he gets like that. I, I didn't really get any kind of sense myself, but I had such bad nightmares and I had such a horrible sleep that we actually woke up at what? Like it was like it, 6 a.m. The dance went on until midnight. We yeah. parked it in bed, I think, by like 10. Yeah. So two hours of hearing that. And then we tried to laugh TV, off, the TV being on all night, and I would say it was probably about it was like six a.m. Six o'clock. We in the start morning. hearing. You hear them? They weren't on the boat yet, like but they were in the parking lot. They were in the parking lot, and so there were bagpipes, and there was a bagpipe festival that they were coming onto the boat to go be a part of. We tried really hard to just like go with it and stay, and we're finally. It was like, we, we need to leave. Yeah, Let's I mean, the go. backpipes were all starting in. They started with their yeah. uh, official song and, we and all chimed in. We were the door and checked out by and, and I told her that, you know, I thought I had fallen asleep and I had a bad dream. And then you went, that's when you just started going into all of your bad dreams that you were having. We went up to the front. I mean, we probably left stuff there. We packed within like two minutes. We couldn't get out of there fast enough. Ran to the front, uh, checked out, and floored it out of the parking lot. I was doing like 80. I could not drive away from the Queen Mary fast enough. And, and we that's were going when, over the bridge, and that's when you told me. When we were going over the bridge, I figured, all right, this is we're far enough out now. I could tell her about it. And as I, of course, started telling her about it, uh, hair was standing up on my arms, and I'm like, I got to tell you what happened. And she was like, I'm really glad you didn't <laughs> tell me that last night. <laughs> So that's that's basically it. I mean, and that's the only thing like that that I've ever seen. Have not been back to the Queen Mary since. I would go back there during the day and walk around. And I'd even go back to that room just to, like, go check it out and revisit it, you know. And then it would be cool to know if there's, a if there's something going on. Was and, and these are the questions. Did they move us to that room over there just because it was so obviously that much bigger or were they trying to avoid putting people in that part of the boat because of whatever i, I don't think, know you I know think like you i always it when wondered... you said it was under the dance floor i don't think yeah i that well that's i think that's all it really but was, i don't but... think that there's one particular room that's more affected than another particular room there because that whole ship is so active not to segue into something else, but my dad told me, and I don't know if I have this story right, but he got into an elevator there once and there was somebody in the elevator. 
he walked in, turned around, faced the door, and the doors closed, and he turned around, and the guy was gone. You're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Hey, that was a pretty good story, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's not every day you see Baron Munchausen standing behind you. <laughs> but you know what? It's also, it's somebody we know really well, you know, for a long time, and we know what he's like. Yeah. And he's not one to be goofing around with that kind of stuff. No, he's not. He's not prone to lying. And also, by the way, if you go to our website, I had him draw a little sketch on a, like a napkin, you know, it's like the Stonehenge spinal tap. Right. <laughs> but he drew, he drew a sketch on a little napkin of the room or on a post-it or something and sent it to me, and I've got it up on our website. And when he drew the X where he saw this thing and where he was and how close it was behind him, i got to be honest, it made my hair stand. And do you? And this is the other question. Do you believe somebody who is more prone to believe these things or somebody who's been a skeptic all their life? Yeah. And he's pretty skeptical about all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, he is. Actually, I had him back in a few days ago, and I asked him directly about it. I was a skeptic about... I mean, if somebody would have told me this story about what happened about all the details and how I was sick beforehand, but I was completely, you know, sober. I wasn't drunk or under any influence of anything of any kind. Yeah, I, I would, I would be a skeptic and I was a skeptic. And then there was a reason why you heard a noise, uh, happen. Old wood and beams cracking, heat, cold, whatnot. And yeah, now, of course, I have a little bit more of a, a, a sensitive spot for, for these sorts of things. Okay, so to that end, that's kind of perfect because I want to – there's this last question that I have for you that's a little bit more of a complicated question. So uh, the first thing I want to tell you is that you know we're friends, and even though I've never personally seen a ghost, I believe in, in this case that you did. The time and circumstances were right, and if I didn't believe in stories like this, we wouldn't have the podcast. That said, when you started this story, and as you just said again there, you were coming off being sick, and you also mentioned that you were on antibiotics. Do you remember what kind of antibiotic you were on, what you were taking? No, not exactly. Um, It's going to be something along the lines of amoxicillin or uh, what's uh, commonly referred to as a Z-Pack, Zithromax. Right. Um, It's going to be something of that nature. Because I had an infection, uh, whenever I get sick, I get it in my tonsils and that whole thing. And so I usually wait, but I, I had to take that. And I had, um, not at the time, but two weeks prior, I had a, a pretty intense fever and whatnot. But I, I was done being sick. I was finished with, pretty much finished with the regimen of, of the antibiotics. antibiotics. And I was extremely clear-headed because I hadn't drank or smoked. Right. So I was like really, really clear lucid. for me. Right. Very lucid. Right. Okay. So well, that's, that's good. It's good to know. Yeah. Okay. So Scott, next question here. Have you ever heard of antibiotics causing hallucinations? Well, you know what? The fact is I did some research on this and it turns out that there's a branch of antibiotics that can cause hallucinations. Mm. They're, I think they're called, I'm probably not saying this right, but I think they're called fluoroquinolones. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I think I saw something. And like there's yeah. some, like ocufloxin and some other ones. Cipro, but, right? Yes. Oh, and, th- these are, and these are heavy duty 
antibiotics when you yeah. when you've got anthrax. Yeah, not not a tonsil. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is Marty was pretty clear that he was not taking these. He was on like a Z pack or amoxicillin or something, and there are there is no history anywhere of those having hallucinations associated with them. I will say though, the fluoroquinolones, the floxin, ocufloxin, cipro, whatever. Those things, some scary stuff, I got to tell you, because I, I read about one woman who saw giant bats flying around in her room. And an, another patient described people walking through walls. Right. But but even then, that's a very small percentage of people that have taken that, have reported something like that happening. Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah. they had a whole mess of other symptoms, muscle tightness, right. all kinds of other issues that you don't want to say on the air. Right. I, I don't think it just pops up after dinner or before dinner in this case. Right. With a halluc- like, oh, well, that was interesting. And then you just go on about your day. I think we can safely rule out antibiotic-induced hallucination for Marty in this case. Okay. We want to thank Marty and Alice for coming in. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about this fascinating ship. Yeah, this ship has got a lot of really amazing history. She was at sea from 1936 to 67 and was Cunard's uh, flagship from 1936 to 46. And Cunard was sort of the answer to White Star Lines, which had, you know, the Titanic famously. Right. She she crossed the Atlantic a thousand times. At least, right? At least, yeah. yeah. And has held a speed record called the Blue Ribbon in 1936 for the fastest crossing she lost it in 37, got it back in 38, and held it until 1952. And before jets came along or the jet age came along, it was the best, most luxurious way that you could travel across the ocean. And the Queen Mary was so luxurious, there was one crew member for every two passengers. So with 1,100 crew members to 2,100 passengers on most cruise ship crossings. Wow. You know, and I, I can't find somebody at uh, <laughs> Home Depot to help me. Uh, no, I was – okay. In World War II, she was converted to a troop ship. Yeah, her and her sister ship, the Queen Elizabeth, were perfect for moving troops over to Europe for the war. And the reason they were so good is because they were so bleeding fast, right? The Queen Mary would do 32 and a half knots top speed, which made her 14 knots faster than a surfaced U-boat, 24 knots faster than a submerged U-boat, and most importantly, seven knots faster than a torpedo. Which is amazing. And, you know, Hitler had offered a quarter million dollars to any U-boat captain that could sink her. I know. Can you imagine how much a quarter million dollars was at yeah, that Yeah, that's a, it's a lot now. So back then, though. Yeah. yeah, so during the troop movements, which I think she moved well over 100,000 troops, her and her sister ship, across the ocean, um, typically they would be 15,000 troops. But at one point, she broke a record that holds to this day for the most people moved on a ship. 16,082 soldiers were crammed aboard. The most ever transported on one ship. Right. And, and, and if you should, you should see the photos because it's amazing and it does not look comfortable. Yeah, they ate in shifts. They slept yeah. in shifts. They were cooking was, 24 yeah, hours a day. They couldn't yeah. all be in the same place. It's like they say about Manhattan. If right. everyone came out of the buildings yeah. at, there's at no lunchtime. One, there's not enough there's, street space. Yeah, there's not enough street. But you know what? That trip was almost, almost the greatest maritime disaster in history. Yeah, worse than, than the Titanic. Would have been 11 times more deaths. And this is what happened. The Queen Mary was on that record crossing with those 16,000 soldiers when she got broadsided by a 90-foot rogue wave. Wow. And and it, she tipped to uh, 52 50, degrees, right? 52 degrees. Had she gone three more degrees to 55, she would have capsized. Yeah. And, and pretty much wow. everybody would have died because a capsized cruise ship that she would have gone all the way over, keel up, no one would have gotten out. 
Wow. They yeah. went and with the crew and everything, they would have lost probably around seventeen thousand people. The Titanic lost fifteen hundred. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing to sneeze at. But, no, uh, no, and but I, in know, one no, no in one instance. No, in one instance though, uh being that crammed, uh, you know, definitely yeah. not enough lifeboats. Well and and she was apparently she was improperly ballasted. I mean she wasn't uh, dangerous, but after that happened, the captain in the winter months for the troop movements he very politely asked the Department of Defense <laughs> if they could maybe just take 10,000 people instead of 15, right. you know, just, just in yeah. case. But there was a couple of things that were significant about that. One of them is that prior to then, there was no real confirmation that rogue waves existed. Right. So right. that was a big that was a big thing because science had sort of dismissed sailors had been talking about them for hundreds of years, but science was like, yeah, well, whatever, it's a story. What a big surprise wave in the middle of nowhere. Come on. Yeah. Oh, possibly the Flannan Island mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which we got to do a story sure. about that where the uh, the guy the lighthouse tenders all just vanished. But you know the rogue waves have thought to have contributed to a lot of really famous ghost ship stories like the Mary Celeste, the Edmund Fitzgerald, or the Munich, which was a two hundred foot merchant ship that made a mayday call and then disappeared with almost any trace except for a lifeboat that was found to have been wrenched off of her. Yeah, which, to- totally swallowed by the sea. Yeah, just gone. Yeah, right. Just gone. And and the and the way the lifeboat had been removed indicated that she went down fast. Yeah, and she, well, I think, uh, didn't, didn't they notice the, uh, the lifeboats were, were tethered, anchored to the ship at a very high point. Right. So for a, ra- a wave to come up and rip that off. Yes. Had been a massive wave. Yeah, exactly. So, the, so in the the final bonus to this event of this rogue wave, which if you can say anything's a bonus to something almost killing seventeen thousand people, was that self proclaimed rotten novelist Paul <laughs> Galico wrote wrote a book called The Poseidon Adventure. Oh boy, one of my chi- on yes, uh, very uh, seminal film for my for my childhood that just. It you know freaked me out, but that was the age of disaster films. It, it was, it was the towering inferno, the Poseidon right. Adventure, Earthquake, Airport, Earthquake. yeah, <laughs> everything was, was ending yeah. in a. And these movies made a lot ball. of money. They were very successful. And the interesting thing about the Poseidon Adventure is, even though it was made many years later, a lot of the non-capsized interior shots were actually shot in the Queen Mary. Right. And if you go to our website, you'll find a link to a page that talks all about how the Poseidon Adventure was made, and it's really fascinating. One of the things they indicated on that page was that when they modeled the Poseidon, they actually went to the blueprints and all the architectural drawings of the Queen Mary because they wanted to match the interior stuff they had done. And so as a result, there's a lot of actually Queen Mary-accurate stuff happening in the movie The Poseidon Adventure. Oh, yeah. No, I remember one, you know, one scene in particular that sticks with me is after the ship is rolled over, there's a, a gentleman hanging by a cocktail table, and, of course, he loses his grip, and he falls into this massive stained glass window. Which is on the Queen the the Queen Mary yes, today, right? Exactly. Which yes. they uh, which they um, were inspired by, right? Yes. And of course, making it very dramatic. Uh, yes. You know. But you know, aside from the rogue wave incident, you know, which there were no deaths involved with that, she did have a lot of run-ins with death, and the most famous one was probably when she hit her escort ship. Wow. Uh, yeah. During one of the crossings by accident. By accident. Well, what was happening was. She was following protocol. She was zigzagging. Eight minutes to starboard, eight minutes to port, then back to the base course for four minutes, and then eight again, eight again, zigzagging the whole way, which is, you know, you always think about um, uh, one of my favorite movies, The Hunt for Red October. Oh, Con sure. Sonar, Crazy Ivan, Crazy right. Ivan, which way is he going? You right, know? but that's, uh, that is a... Um, that's a common maritime practice yeah, in wartime. There was a John Wayne movie, In Harm's Way, where he gets uh, reprimanded for, for not doing that because right. he thought it was tactically better 
uh, and they're trying to get away yes. faster because yes. it does eat up. It does eat up your speed. Exactly. Yeah. It slows okay. you down right. overall, but the Queen Mary was so fast it didn't matter. Sure. The problem was that the HMS Curacoa, which was escorting her on a 10,000-person troop movement, couldn't keep up with her. So she was zigging and zagging, and the Curacoa was going straight, and through a misunderstanding about the rules at sea about who has the right-of-way, and it was a misunderstanding specifically because it was wartime, and the Queen Mary was under under direction not to stop for anything— the captain of the Kirikoa thought he was in the right, but what happened was the Queen Mary hit him straight amidships at 28 knots, cut that boat in half, and it went wow. down in six minutes. There were 99 survivors in the water. 239 sailors were lost, and those 99 survivors had to be rescued several hours later by another escort ship because Queen Mary couldn't turn around. Yeah, in cold, very cold waters. Yeah, yeah. very cold waters. And, but with 10,000 troops on board, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. No, it's uh, Spock. I'm not quoting Spock. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but, you know, and of, of, it may be apocryphal, but a lot of people have said that, you know, you could hear the screams when the ship was cut in half. Interest, you know. really? Yeah. That's, so, that. that's reported uh, by people on the Queen Mary. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's creepy. That's pretty yeah. creepy. Now, that's not the only creepy thing that happened, though. Now, I mean, you, you know a little bit about Watertight Door 13, right? Yes. So Door 13, there was a death at uh, that was recorded. So uh, an 18-year-old fireman slash cleaner from England uh, named John Petter, and I, we have a photo of him on, on the website. website. Yes. Yep. And uh, it was on Voyage 483, and, and what happened is that the, the captain, the ship encountered some fog. So as a precautionary measure, the captain had the uh, emergency doors closed. Now, these are watertight bulkheads, so in case, you know, there's a rupture or something, not the whole ship won't get flooded. Well, he was originally assigned to the bilge pumping duties uh, in one of the, I think, Boiler Room 3, and he may have not been as familiar with that particular area of the ship, which is near the engine room. And the thing is, they close pretty fast. So they, they yeah, they close in six seconds. Yeah, six not seconds. yeah. So the thing is, is that he just may have been trapped. He may have. Uh, it, it was just you know. There's Keeps no underestimated. Well, outcomes. you know what? There, there's you know legend that uh, they were the guys were goofing around and they you know because they were bored. Playing they would, chicken. They would right. try jumping in and out of, from one side to the other and see how many times they could do it before the door actually closed. But you know what? These guys took pride in their work. There's just really no time to be goofing around. Right. So the, and there's no evidence either that they were actually doing that. Right? No. Plus it's you know I'm sure they were aware that they hit foggy conditions. This is not the time to be playing chicken. So there's no there's no real truth to that uh, as far as anyone knows. But he did uh, succumb to his injuries and yeah. was crushed um, to death. Yeah, and of course it was door 13, right? Well, <laughs> you know. Door 13. Hey, there's, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you well, know, that's a whole other Because, uh, you know, it doesn't always mean, but sure. And, well, and, a lot of people know. have reported seeing and hearing strange things down there at that door. So. That, is one, that is one spot where there's a lot of activity. Uh, there is another one. Cabin 340B. Right. Now, the B deck is reportedly the most haunted of the, of the decks on the ship. And uh, what happened is that uh, somebody had died in that room of unknown causes, just kind of passed away in the night. Nothing and dramatic? They didn't hang themselves? No, no, just uh, doesn't have to be. Oh, That's okay. the thing. It's like, right. actually, how they found that out was kind of interesting. Yeah. This, is, this is one room where they started getting a lot of report of, of activity. You know, the faucets <laughs> turning on, the shower turning on, lights coming on. And it's not just the people staying there. It was also the hotel staff. And it started happening so much that people were, were complaining and, or filing reports with the crew 
that they decided to like, okay, let's stop writing this out for a bit, check the record, see what happened here. And that's when they came across uh, this person's death. And, um, and again, that was the only thing they, they, they thought it could be. So, so they didn't even know. They, did, they weren't even aware that someone had died in this room. They found that out through complaints through, about the room. Yes, about weird stuff happening. Right. And, uh, you know, there would be a knock at the door in the middle of the night. They go to the door. There's nobody there. That sort of thing again, and also the uh, the, the faucets. So can we go? Like can that. we go stay in this room? You cannot because uh, it is not. Uh, there's pictures of it again. If you go uh, check out, uh, well, uh, YouTube, yeah, they're on our website it. actually. Yeah, uh, so so you know, there's the carpeting's ripped up. The the, the walls are. They left it kind of like not. No one's ever going to stay there again. And but this is the interesting point, is that you may think this is all malarkey or whatever. All right, we're trying to get things. people to come to the ship. Sure. It's haunted. Boo-hoo. But this is, this is, we're talking about business now. And yeah, if they, yeah. they could rent that room out, they would want the money from that, you know, rather than... Uh, right, like, they're despite... not renting it because no, things and, are happening. No, my point is that this company, this business uh, entity, took this seriously yeah. and stopped renting it and, and actually did the research to find out why this is happening. Right. And, uh, and there you go. And sure, it's part of the tour, of the, you know, the ghost tour that the, the ship gives. Yeah. Uh, so that's, an, that's what you're, you would call an official reaction to a paranormal right event. and uh, you know what it's like people say like well you're just doing that for a tourist trap kind of a thing but you know what it's like yeah one they're not making um, any money off of it because i think originally when the ship uh, it was actually two rooms or or po- uh, possibly three oh, yeah, that I read was that they mel- combined them it or was something. combined into a larger state room uh you know that's just it's all it yeah it looks really unimpressive because again the the uh, you know they took the carpeting out there's no fi- there's a couple of fixtures that were still there like there's a dresser in a corner uh but you know the paint's peeling they're just really not doing anything with it other than to show people this room on this tour well you know the records reflect that at least 49 people are known to have died on the queen mary Right. And um, and I found some statistics that indicated 75% of those deaths were crew members, uh, which is probably just normal work hazard kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, 25% were passengers. Right. There's no records available about how many servicemen or POWs died aboard the ship. The uh, military hasn't released those. But you can bet there were some of those as well. Right. Now, uh, just, you know, I have a friend that was stationed on an aircraft carrier for a number of years, and he said just being on board a ship, it's a dangerous place. You know, things especially can happen. an aircraft carrier, right? Well, especially that one. But, uh, you, but Now, you you spent some time on the Queen Mary yourself, didn't I you? I did. Uh, I've never stayed there, uh, you know, so as— You didn't spend the night. I did spend the night. Oh, you did spend oh, the night. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, you never stayed there as a hotel guest. Yeah, exactly. So no, what, no, why I was were you working. There? Well, uh, it was a uh, it was a two-day shoot, a video shoot. That was a promotional uh, video okay. uh, for the Queen Mary. Oh, okay. Now, the cool thing is that we were taken all over the ship. You know, we were, we were shooting different all different aspects of it. Now, I didn't get to go into some of the more remote places that are totally sealed off, but I, I got to go down uh, into the bowels of the ship, as they said, wow. and, uh, uh, you know, just everywhere. So... Uh, we spent one night, and it was exhausting, you know, because it's metal. You're, yeah, you're, you're carrying a gear. Didn't you say your feet got sore from walking on the metal all the Oh, time? yeah, yeah. No, you're walking all over, and, and I probably didn't have the right shoes. But, uh, no, you're, you're, you know, you probably walked eight miles in that day just on metal and wood. Uh, so, you're very, you know, we were exhausted. Uh, and you know what? Um, being all over the ship, nothing. Re- I didn't really see anything or hear anything. Okay. Uh, other than when you're below and you hear a clank or something, it's just like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, there's no 
you know, one of the things I hear down below is a little girl uh, laughing, running, and, you know, uh, playing. Yeah. Didn't hear anything. Uh, who were, so who was uh, your guide while you were there? Who, was t- who told you where to go? How did you know how to get around? You know, we had a couple of folks that were assigned to us, uh, but one really interesting gentleman, uh, probably in his, I would say, late 60s, early, early to mid-70s, uh, was the ship's engineer. And, and, of course, you know, when we had a little downtime, as you do in video shoots, I asked him, I was like, hey, uh, this ship is supposedly haunted. Have you, have you seen anything? He's like, well, you know, uh, I really haven't. Uh, but he said, I believe a lot of people that I've worked with have. And he, I can't remember how many, cro- he'd done several, at, you know, many transatlantic crossings. And uh, he'd never personally seen anything weird or strange, uh, you know, noises here and there, or, you know, but, but again, that's not attributable to any particular incident or ghost that might be there. Right. Uh, but he said plenty of crew members and plenty of people he worked with certainly have, and all the traditional things that they say. So I asked him, what's the strangest thing now that he, you know, the ship is docked and he's not actively out in the ocean. And he said, well, you know, the ship is run by massive diesel engines and uh, they have a heartbeat, you know, so boom, 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 and... When he's in there day in and day out working, you're constantly hearing that for years at a time. So now that the ship is docked and it's a hotel, he doesn't hear that. It's kind of like the heart has stopped. Well, thanks for listening to Episode 2. Yes, and come back in two weeks for our Halloween show about a place that freaks Scott out so bad... He's sworn never to visit and doesn't even like to talk about it. I want to thank Judson Crane for our amazing theme music, Ryan McCullough for world-class sound design, and Jim Creative Design. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, on Facebook at the Astonishing Legends Podcast, and also on Twitter. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. Good night.